It's good to be with you this morning. Now, last time I preached, I, I preached on short notice. And uh, many of you commented that it was one of the best sermons I'd ever preached. <laughs> and so I didn't know whether to take that as a compliment or, or not. So um, I just looked at my stuff this morning. So, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So, um, but it's, it's good to be with you, and as we're going in this series um, of the letters to, to the churches, and um, this morning we're on, on Philadelphia, and um, we just have two more left, and we're going to change gears a little bit this morning because a, a lot of the other churches, um, we've been talking about what they haven't done right, and uh, we get to Philadelphia, and, and they're a church that there's no condemnation to them. God is basically saying, you know, I, I know your deeds and, and here's, here's what you are doing well. Um, he still gives them a warning, but, but it talks about all the good things that we're doing. So, so we're going to be looking at, okay, here's the good stuff this morning. Here's what they're doing right and how we can apply that to our lives. How the church in Philadelphia were sold out, fully surrendered, and, and what they did to accomplish that. And, and as I was thinking about being sold out and, and fully surrendered, I was thinking about my kids. Um, each of them have qualities, different qualities that, that I love. Um, but in, in the sold out part, um, I, I think of my six-year-old Sam. And uh, he's one that when he decides to do something, um, he does it uh, 100%. Um, sometimes that gets him in trouble. Um, you know, sometimes it doesn't. But just, you know, a few examples... You know, he's decided, he, he found out a few weeks ago that if he's barefoot, he can get a good grip on our basketball hoop pole that's metal and he can climb. And, uh, you know, to me, I'm thinking he'll go up about three feet and, and, you know, be, hey, dad, look, it's cool. You know, I turn around, he's hanging from the rim, you know, 10 feet up and he'll do that constantly. He gets in a tree, he wants to go to the highest part of it that he can. At times he'll grab one of my hats and climb to the highest part of the tree and hang it there and, and want me to try to climb after him um, to, to get it. He, he's just, he's, he's that, that, that he's sold out. Um, he, he, you know, he loves swimming. He's, he's learned how to swim. We went to my sister's house that has a swimming pool with a diving board and, you know, in the time he had, I think he jumped off of that diving board, I don't know, 500 times. It's just constant. I love this. And he just keeps going and going and going. And, and he also will jump at me off of stairs, off of beds, off of wherever, just expecting me no matter where he's jumping from to catch him. And, and, and it's just that full surrender, that full, you know what, Dad, I'm up eight steps, but I know you're going to catch me if I leap from here. But, but he has, has just kind of that, I, I trust you. And, and, and that's what the church of Philadelphia had in, in their relationship with God. And, uh, and that's where we need to get in our relationship with God, individually and also as a church. And, and just that, that full surrender, that full abandonment. And, and saying, God, you know what, no matter where, I'm just going to jump into this. You know, and, and, and there's days where I half catch Sam, mostly catch him, and there's, there's, there's probably going to be a day where I totally miss him. Um, there was once in a swimming pool that I did that when he was younger. So he just jumped right over my head. It's like, where'd Sam go? Um, but with our God, 
He's a God that's never going to miss us. If, if we jump in 100%, totally surrender, you're not going to be let down. And, and that's what we're going to look at in, in the church of Philadelphia this morning. Um, a little history just about the city of Philadelphia. Um, it's actually when these were written at that time, it was the youngest city of these seven, out of the seven. Um, for what that's worth, it was the youngest. Um, it also was basically the gateway from Europe to the east. Uh, a major um, road went through there, and, and this was the gateway going from Europe out to the east. So, so there was a lot of culture passed through this city. Um, there was a lot of vineyards around this, so one of their main um, industries was wine. Um, they also produced a lot of leather, a lot of textile. So they were somewhat of a, a prosperous city, the city of Philadelphia. Um, the king who built the city and named it Philadelphia, he named it after his love for his brother. Okay, He, he loved his brother a lot, so that's why he called it Philadelphia. Um, the city has gone through some name changes in its history. It was still kind of always Philadelphia, but in the area where it was, it was prone to a lot of earthquakes. So there was a couple times where the city, along with other cities in that area, was totally destroyed by earthquakes. And either the Caesar or the king that rebuilt it, um, they would still keep the name Philadelphia, but they would also name it after that Caesar for a while, that type of thing, because they were thankful that they took the time to rebuild that city. So that plays some into what we talk about later on, why there's important. So everything kind of has a historical reference as then when you read through Scripture. So, so that's some of the background. Is the, the church was established there. And one of the things that's interesting as, as you read through and, and you look at the history of this area, you know, this is one of the churches, there's no condemnation, that kind of stuff, but... There was warnings, and eventually, of course, this church doesn't exist anymore. But as you look through history, this area became Muslim. And this city of Philadelphia was about the last holdout of Christianity. In fact, they said it was still considered a Christian populace until the year 1392. So so there was a strong pocket there, um, but eventually it's no longer there. So let's get into the scripture as we look at Revelation, the, the letter from Jesus. Again, this is Jesus writing specifically to each of these churches. And uh, this is Revelations chapter 3. It starts with verse 7. And uh, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who, of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And just looking at this verse, quickly to give you some references, when it says there that he holds the key of David, what this was talking about was back in when there was palaces, when there was kings, there was one person that kind of held the key who would let people into the palace or who wouldn't. They were the ones who considered that had some of the highest power in the kingdom. So they would be the ones, yes, you can go in almost kind of somewhat like a bouncer. You know, that yes, you can come in, no, you can't. And so he's saying, this is Jesus. He's the one who holds this key of David. And, and why he was referring then to this, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open, is back then at that time in Philadelphia, there was a struggle in the Jewish synagogue. The followers who were at the Philadelphia church, the ones who were Jewish Christians, 
were being excluded from the synagogue because they were Christians. The Jews who were in the synagogue were saying, you can no longer worship here because you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so basically they were shutting the door to them and saying, you're no longer welcome here. And so what Jesus was saying to start off with was was basically saying, you know what? Big picture, I'm the one who holds the keys, who lets people in to my kingdom and who isn't allowed. I'm the one who opens doors. I'm the one who shuts doors. And, and so he's letting them know right off the bat, it's not about this synagogue who's not letting you in, that fight there, that you need to see the bigger picture, and I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who has the power. And so don't forget that. I'm the one who is holy and true. Then he moves on to verse 8. In verse 8, we're going to discuss more later. It's going to be our key verse of the morning. But again, he says, I know your deeds. We've seen that from the other churches that he, he says, I know what you're doing. So many times I think we, as Christians, think that we can go through our life and maybe do things that Jesus will never know about. And he's saying, no, you know what? I know what's going on. I know your deeds. And, and he starts to list there. He says, he says, See, before he listens, he goes, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. So again, he's reminding them, you know what, even though you may be shut out of the synagogue, I'm the one who has the power, I'm the one who is in control, and I've opened a door in front of you that no one can shut. And you can look at that a lot of different ways in this scripture. One is, is that, you know what, you're welcome. You're part of my family. No one else can close this door. You're included in my family. Also, he's saying there's an opportunity in front of you as a church that is wide open. You know, as you look at the city of Philadelphia, like we talked about, it was a gateway into the east. And he's saying, man, you have a a big opportunity. You have a door that's wide open to you to do ministry for me. And then he goes on to affirm them and, and to say a few things about their church. He says that I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. Some great commendations, and we're going to look at those a little bit closer later. But basically, this was a church that was living out. They had the true life. You know, it was kind of the opposite of Sardis. Sardis claimed to have that, but they were dead. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You claim to have this, and you do have it. And the thing here, though, one of the, one of the things, and we'll, we'll talk more, but just that saying you have little strength. A lot of times we look at that and say, well, that's a bad thing. You know, you'd rather hear that they had a lot of strength. Things were going well. But what he was getting at is so many times that's what we're all about is strength. And when you go on your own strength and good things happen, who do you say did it? Me. And what he's saying here is you have little strength, and what that means is that you are totally relying on me so that when I walk in and I do great things, God gets all the credit, and they're not, because they know they can only accomplish these things through God. So having little strength is a good thing here. He goes on in verse 9 to say, He goes, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. 
So again, it's just giving them, you know what, these people that you are struggling with, these people that you are fighting that are locking you out, at some point you're going to get some vindication. That at some point these people are going to acknowledge who I am. To me, it reminds me of in Philippians where it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I don't think he literally meant that at some point they're going to come and bow before the church at Philadelphia. But at some point, these people are going to bow before Christ and acknowledge who he really is. And we saw in some of the other churches, there were also synagogues of Satan, is what he called them. That basically they were people who were claiming one thing but they weren't living it out, and they were liars. And you see that throughout the New Testament of different churches in different places, and you see that today. There's many churches that will claim one thing, but they aren't. And Jesus puts out a strong warning against those churches, but here he, he tells them, one day this is going to happen. So hang tough. Hang in there. I know it's a struggle. I know you feel disconnected from that synagogue, but hang in there. And he continues that in verse 10. He says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Again, he's telling them a reminder to endure patiently. It's a day-by-day thing. This isn't something that you can just say, Okay, I've been there, done that, now I can rest. Because I'm doing a good job. He's encouraging them. You need to continue to endure. You need to continue on a daily basis. Rely on me. Know that you have little strength. And he goes on to say that I will keep you from the hour of trial. Um, This verse can be a whole sermon in itself. uh, Because different people will use this verse and say, this shows that that means we as Christians are going to be raptured before the tribulation starts. And if this is all you're not understanding this, don't worry, because this isn't my emphasis this morning. Um, But on the same hand, some people will use this first to say, no, based on how it's constructed in the verbiage, this shows that we'll be here for the tribulation, but that God's going to protect us. And it can go both ways when you put it with other things. You put it with more language in Revelation That's not what we're here to discuss. What I want you to get from this verse this morning is no matter what, whether we're here when the tribulation happens, whether we're not, that God comes to take us before that, that God's protecting us. And and that's what you need to realize, that if you endure patiently, it doesn't really matter. That's a secondary thing, whether we're going to be here or not. The main thing is realizing that God is telling them, you know what, endure patiently because I'm going to protect you. And, and that's what you need to hold on to. And that's what he was telling the church of Philadelphia. This is what you need to hold on to. And in verse 11, he goes on to say, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Just a reminder, he was telling them, you need to keep enduring. I'm going to be there soon. That gives you the hope, but you need to have perseverance. You need to still have that total surrender. Because if you don't, if you all of a sudden slack off, you could lose your reward. You could lose that loyalty. Satan could get in there. 
And that loyalty that you had to Jesus Christ could disappear. That's why it's so important, whether you're 8 years old, whether you're 98 years old, that this is a daily thing. I'm sorry if you're older, you can't say, hey, you know what, I've lived my Christian life, I have a few years left, I'm going to sit back and relax. Because that's not what Scripture says. It says this is something that you have to constantly be living out every day. Because if you're not doing that, you could slip up and Satan could get in there. So he encourages them to continue to hold on. And then he says, if you do hold on, in verse 12, it says, To him who overcomes, I will make a temple. I will make, you know, I, I, I put that backwards on the screen. I'm sorry. It's supposed to be, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. That's one strike for me on that thing. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Again, he's just, you know, it fits perfectly with the church of Philadelphia and what these rewards will be if they overcome. The saying that they will be a pillar in the temple of his God, again, he's going back to how they're being excluded. And now he's saying, you know what? If you overcome, you're going to be a part of my kingdom. You're going to be a part of my synagogue. In fact, I will make you a pillar in it. You will be a permanent fixture in it if you overcome. And then he talks about how he will write his name on them, that they will have the name of their God. You know, remember, their city had gone through some name changes, some different things. So they knew, man, this meant that, you know, no matter what, I'm God's. So, some powerful rewards to this city. But let's get back to verse 8 and, and look at this verse and pull some things out of it. That How does this now apply to us? The letter that they wrote to the, the church at Philadelphia. That verse 8, again, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I want to look at that next sentence with you and pull out those three things. It says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We're going to take these three qualities that the church in Philadelphia had and, and look at them because to me I look at if you put those three qualities together, that's what true surrender looks like. That's what living your life totally sold out for God looks like. And we're going to take that first one where they had little strength or they had little power. Our society is, is such the opposite of this, is that you need more power, you need more strength to be successful. I think one of the areas that this is really magnified is in professional sports. You see a lot of guys getting caught for using steroids or performance-enhancing drugs because what? They want the more power. They want the edge. They want to be on top in their sport. And they'll do go by any means to get there and to be there. And you see it in different areas that, man, you need to have power to be successful. It's thrown at us all of the time. But here he's commending them for having little strength, for having little power. And I think it gets down to where if you release that and say, okay, God, I can't do this on my own, that I need to rely on you, that opens up a door to 
a whole other realm of resources that we have at our at just our disposal. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty six and twenty nine says through twenty nine says this it says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. If you're not doing this in your own strength, if you're saying I have little strength and I'm going to give this totally over to God, God, you have control, I need to do it in your power, then the only person you can boast in when incredible things happen is God. In the book of John, Jesus is talking and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, nothing. I know when I walk up here to speak, if it's all on my own, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Because God has to be here. God has to be speaking. Erwin Lutzer says this, You become stronger only when you become weaker. When you surrender your will to God, you discover the resources to do what God requires. What a great quote. And it's hard for us to kind of wrap our heads around that. Okay, we become stronger when we become weaker. But in the Christian life, you know, it's that whole thing of, man, if Jesus gets into your life, he turns your life upside down. So many of his teachings back then to, to the Jews were things that were reversing their culture, reversing how they thought. And it's the same thing here for us that he's saying, you know, it's the total opposite. If you truly want to be strong, then you need to become weak. And in that, you're going to become stronger. Because in that, when you allow God to totally take control, all of a sudden there's resources to do what God requires. But this needs to be on a daily basis. A daily basis saying, God, this is all yours. I surrender this all to you. I'm weak without you. I need you as part of my life. Next we have in that verse that they not only had a little strength, but that they kept God's word. John 14, 21 says this, it says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Getting into God's word and obeying it, according to this verse, shows that you truly love God. If you're not into this, if you're not reading it, then you got to call into question whether you truly love God or not, according to this verse. And this is something that we need to be into. This is something that the church at Philadelphia did, that they kept God's word. They read it, and they found out what to do, because they had little strength. Since they had little strength, they had already given their lives over to God. They're, okay, God, we have little strength. We need, to, we need to, to rely on you for your power. How do we find out what to do? They got into God's word. When we were on our trip to the Dominican, one of the churches we went to um, was uh, 
uh, called the Mountaintop Church because it was on top of a mountain. So it was referred to as the Mountaintop Church. And um, there, there was just, you, you heard going into it that there was a lot of, of special things that went on there, that, that there was a closeness to God there. Um, some of that, I think, is you're praying the whole way there because of the trip going up and down these roads and through rivers and stuff that you're already kind of closer to God by the time you get there because you're thanking him that you made it there. But in, in talking with, with uh, one of the other adults that went on our trip, she had been there before, and they had interviewed the pastor and just asked them, how is it that there's just this feeling here? There's, there's a difference here. What would you attribute that to? And the pastor responded simply, reread God's word and then obey it. And, and that's what they did there at that church. And that's what the Philadelphia church did. Is, is that they read God's word and, and then they obeyed it. One of the last times I was out at... Uh, my mom's, she gave me one of my dad's Bibles. And, and I think it, it was, I don't think, I know it was appropriate at the time um, because it was, it was a time where I was reading God's Word when necessary for church stuff. And, and I wasn't in it a lot personally at that time. And, and she, when she handed me this Bible and, and I started to look through it, one of the cool things about it is that Every time my dad read a chapter, he wrote the date when he read it. So, you know, I'm starting to look through this, and every single chapter is marked with one or two dates or three dates. You know, the book of Proverbs is marked with check marks. When he read that, they're marked ten times or more. And and it just really reminded me, I I need to be into God's Word, and and I need to be keeping it. And and it was just a, a great reminder and, and that's what we need to be doing and doing his commands. Oswald Chambers says this. He says, have you ever realized that you can give things to God that are of value to him? Or are you just sitting around daydreaming about the greatness of his redemption while neglecting all the things you could be doing for him? I'm not referring to works which could be regarded as divine or miraculous, but ordinary, simple human things, things which would be evidence to God that you are totally surrendered to him. You know, it, we don't have to go out and do incredible things. But if you're keeping God's word, you're going to do things that are evidence that you're surrendered totally to him. And that's what the church at Philadelphia was doing. And that's what we need to be doing. It's not like you have to go out and save a city. It's just these small things that continue to, you do, you do. And they're evidence that you're in God's word, that you're keeping God's word, that you're surrendered to him. And then incredible things happen. The third thing that they had on their list was that they did not deny God's name. Do people know that you're a Christian in your workplace, in your neighborhood? For this group in Philadelphia, people knew who they were. One of the main reasons they knew who they were was they weren't allowed in the synagogue. You know, So when they went to that door, if they said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, okay, you're, you're out of here. So they made that stand right away that, hey, you know, we're a Christian, we're a follower of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.16 says this, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
challenge you guys. If you've never suffered for Christ, then are you truly living out your life 100% sold for Him? Because I think as we read through Scripture, there, there's so many references that if you're, if, if you're totally surrendered, if you're totally abandoned, if you're taking a stand, that, that there's going to be some type of persecution, that there's going to be some type of trials. In James it says, consider it pure joy that you go through trials for me. And there's other places that talk about this. That, that if there isn't any of that in your life, are you truly 100% sold out for him? Or when it's those chances at the workplace or something where, where people bring up something spiritual, you kind of just stay quiet. Or when they say, hey, you go to church, don't you? What do you think of this? And you just stay quiet. You know, there, there's so many topics in the world right now. You even look at the shooting that just happened in Colorado. I'm sure they're getting discussed in the workplaces. And, and those are instances that God can be brought into that conversation. But yet, what do we do? You know? And, and we shy away from that. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, I wish that saints would cling to Christ half as earnestly as sinners cling to the devil. If we were as willing to suffer for God as some are willing to suffer for their lusts, what perseverance and zeal would be seen on all sides? Now, are we as Christians willing to stand up for Christ and make that stand and not deny his name by the way we act, by the way we live, by the things we say? Are we willing to do that? And maybe suffer a little bit for it. It's a shame that people out there are more zealous for the sin in their life than we are for Christ in ours. But this church in Philadelphia had it right. And in Revelation chapter 3, Verse 11, you still have that, that final warning that I am coming soon. There's that hope. Man, keep pursuing because I am going to be there. But then hold on to what you have. He's telling the church, you have a lot of good things going. There's no condemnations. You have little strength, which means you're relying on me totally. You're in my word and you're applying it. You're doing it. You're keeping my word. You're not denying my name. You're standing up for who I am. But you need to hold on. You need to keep doing it. It needs to be a daily thing. Or you may lose it. You may lose that loyalty. You may lose the zeal, the 100% sold out that you have for Christ. So where are you at this morning? Great things to apply to our lives. If you're willing to be totally surrendered, so, so what do I do if I'm totally surrendered? Well, one, you can't do anything in your strength. You've got to let God have control. And the great thing with that is God is saying, you know what, I'm going to protect you. 
When things are great, I'll be with you. When things are tough, I'm going to be with you. Again, I want to remind you, when we give things totally over to Christ, it doesn't mean our life is perfect and we walk out of here and everything is, you know, smells like roses and, and life is perfect. That's not what God says. He says, you sell out to me, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be suffering, but I am going to be with you. That I guarantee. And I will protect you from it and get you through it. You just need to hold on. Are you in God's word? Are you keeping it? It's more than just reading one verse in the morning and then walking away from it and forgetting what it says. It's reading it and keeping it, which means applying it, which means obeying it. You can walk in here each Sunday morning and sit down and say, I've done my church thing, but in the life of following Christ, that's just not going to cut it. For those of you who think it is, I'm sorry, but it's not. You can't read this and see anything else. It's total surrender. And then, are you willing to stand up for him? Are you willing to not deny his name? By the way you live. Man, that, that's the challenge. You know, and, and it's a daily thing again. It's getting up each morning and say, okay, God, this day is yours. My life is yours. I give this over to you. For some of us, maybe we have to do that every five minutes. You know? Because again, you look at the Church of Philadelphia. How many of these churches exist today? N- none of them even though they had no condemnation against them, there was still a warning, hold on, hold on, keep doing this. And eventually they got to the place where they weren't holding on anymore. You know? So it's something that, you know, that's a good warning for us as well. Here's what we need to be doing, but man, it needs to be constantly. This morning, in, in, a, in a second, um, we're going to sing a song called called The Stand. It just has great words to it. Um, Brittany's going to sing some of it as you listen, and then she's going to ask you to join if you want. And, and, and here's my challenge for you this morning, is, is this. Is that, you know, the Christian life in one way is simple, but in another way, it's, it's difficult. It's simple because God calls you to follow him. A hundred percent. And that's what you need to do. It's difficult for us to follow him a hundred percent. But it's making the conscious choice to do that. And it's making that conscious choice to say, this is where I'm at. I'm willing to stand up for you. I'm willing to keep your word. I'm willing to just rely on your strength. I'm willing to not deny your name anymore by my actions, by the way I live, or by my non-actions and not doing anything. As we sing this song, there's sometimes I feel like we sing songs and we don't mean the words. We stand here on Sunday mornings or whenever and we just sing to sing. 
when it gets to the point where Brittany says, you can sing along with me, if you don't mean the words, I don't want you standing and singing. God doesn't want you standing and singing. And that's my challenge to you, that when we get to that point, if you are already there, that you're sold out, that you're doing this 100%, that you're relying on God, then stand and sing the song as loud as you can. Or maybe as the song goes, you're saying, you know what, this morning is my morning to make this decision, to say that I'm going to stand up, that I'm going to start doing this. For some of you here, maybe you're still at that point where, you know what, I'm here this morning just trying to find out who God is. That's awesome. That's what we're here for. You know, God is someone who sent his son to this earth because of the love he had for us so that his son could die for our sins and pay that penalty for our sins. But the better thing yet is, is that it didn't end there, but that Jesus conquered death and he's alive again. And he wants to have a relationship with you. If you're someone that you're sitting here and saying, I want to find out more, I want to find out about that relationship, I encourage you when things are all said and done, come down front. I'll be here. There'll be some elders here. We'll be more than happy to talk to you. It's nothing about joining the church. It's all about having a relationship with Jesus Christ.